Pain is a universal thing. Pain is universal because all of us go through it. All of us go through pain because everyone has something that can cause pain in their life. Many things, multiple things, plenty of things. Everything in our life can cause us pain to some extent. You know, anything we get attached to can cause pain because we care about it. Anything that we're not attached to can cause pain because maybe it doesn't like us very much. Or maybe it gets in the way of the things that we're attached to. Maybe we don't want this thing that's painful in our life. And so we go to great lengths to try to get it out of our life. And maybe that causes pain. Or maybe we're just trying to prevent the pain. The point is, pain and all the things that come from it are a universal thing that we all go through. And from that, all of us in our own little corner of life, our own realm, our own bubble, share pain amongst groups that we live in, that we share together, like families and friends and support groups and religions and all that stuff. We share pain together if we're a collective. And so when we see one of our members of our collective in pain, we start to feel that pain with them and we want to do something about it. We want to help them out. We want to be the superhero in the cape swooping down to uh, get them from the, the, the fall that, you know, from the high building. <laughs> and uh, sometimes we're a little late to catch them, unfortunately. And sometimes we collide into the ground ourselves because we're not looking at what's below us. We go so hard to try to protect people and save them and be a supporter that we end up harming ourselves. We'll leap headfirst from the building, not knowing how we're going to recover from the fall. You know, we'll land, smack on the ground, explode like jelly onto a table that spills. We're not exactly in the best state after that. You know, we don't want to just put so much in that either we hurt ourselves or we harm the other person in some way. You know, we don't want to be the white knight that goes in to try to save them if there's no dragon to slay, you know. Or, much worse, if the dragon is too big for us to slay and we both get absorbed and eaten by it, you know, that's hard. That's a hard thing. So the point is of all of this is to understand that drive that makes you so desperate to help out people you love. You know, I'm going to specifically today talk about family members because it's something I deal with in my life. And I understand that on this podcast, I've talked a lot about family abuse, you know, family trauma and just being neglected, being misunderstood, being gaslit, whatever it is, you know, being me being personally the source of abuse at times and having family members at sometimes be the source of abuse, that dynamic between family members, that's really hard to deal with, you know, that pain that is inflicted on one another that leads to pain in the outside world, even when that family is not present altogether, that stuff sucks. It's hard to deal with beyond belief, but here I'm looking at the flip side of it. And it's the flip side, it's, but it's two sides of the same coin there. Because both of it can cause and be caused by so much pain. So when you try to support your family, when you try to give them everything you got to try to, I don't know, just heal some pain that they need healing from in whatever way, when you take on their full burden as if it's your own, you start to see that pain forms within you again. It's almost as if you're being abused once again. Even if you've healed, even if you've come up with ways to deal with things, you know, things with them and yourself. Sometimes abuse comes back and it's almost self-inflicted. You know, it's like a gunshot to the, to the ankle and expecting to walk after. You're not going to be able to. Even though you were confident that you would be fine, you still crippled yourself. It's something I deal with currently. I've worked really hard to make sure that everything in my life can be met with an assertiveness of, of not a forceful, but a, a powerful nature that I can assert myself into and emanate from wherever I need it to emanate from, to be that source of inspiration from a child 
who had to get through so much trauma and struggle to someone who is strong-willed, who doesn't let abuse walk all over him, who doesn't enable abuse, but also tries to help those who abuse as well as those who have been abused. Someone who is passionate about what they do, someone who truly wants to be better. You know, by God's grace, I hope to be something that is good. That's what I hope to do. But I also understand that I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. I'm a 21-year-old kid who's trying to take on the load of his entire life, the lives of others too. And I don't usually try to handle the whole burden anymore. I once did. But nowadays, I can tell that there's a sway over me when I try to help, you know, that I have to fight. Because I desperately want to solve everything for myself and others. I do. Who doesn't, right? Who wouldn't like press a button and then all of a sudden all the problems in the world are gone? Unfortunately, we don't have that button, even though it seems like we do. You know, it seems like there's a button on my desk at all times where, for example, if I go into a recording session, I can just press a button and anyone who listens to it will automatically understand what I'm saying and also benefit from it even more than I can, you know, even more than I can from the words I say. But that can't happen, unfortunately. It, it can never happen, it seems. But the effort to try to make things better, to give hope to people, all of that, that is crucial, no matter what the result is. The result might look like so many different things. It might look like pain, pleasure, gratification, despair, dread, bliss, who knows. It may look like a whole number of things, maybe even all at once. But the hope through the action and the effort of trying to support the people we love in a healthy way, as much as we can, is astronomical in scale to what we can do to make life better for those we love. It's so important. And so to start off doing that, we have to heal ourselves first, as much as we can. You know, the healing process, it's very subjective. It's not defined. There's no end point. You don't run a marathon and all of a sudden you cross the finish line and you look back and see your, your trauma in the dust. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. As pretty as that sounds, as romantic as that is, you know, to fight through your trauma and recover, and the recovery is like a stamp of approval that you are good now, you know, that you're good enough and that you're good to stay safe. It's not how it is. And we all know that. How it is, it's a constant battle. A battle using skills, mechanisms, and boundaries and all sorts of things to make your life worth living. Those things help. They, they allow you to feel grounded in a world that is so unbelievably chaotic. You know, that grounding is important. To stay sane in a world that feels so insane, chaotic in every way, and that's inner as well, you know? Inside of you, you feel that chaos. So to try to find ways to get through that are important beyond belief, but it's never over, you know? Keep expanding on those things and you find that the chaos begins to seem like less of the obstacle and more just how it is. But that chaos doesn't have to be rooted in that pain, you know? That pain heals. So... Once that pain heals, you find that you're able to take on more, I guess, tasks in your life, more things that you've always wanted to pursue, more important goals to achieve. And when that's apparent to you, all of a sudden you see that there are other people who go through what you once went through. You empathize. Your pain, your experience, your struggle has become something more than just your own. You see it in all things. That broad understanding of what pain looks like has become apparent in those you love the most. And so... You start to feel pain again, not from a first person perspective, but from a third person perspective. You're on the outside now. And when you're on the outside, what's good about that, as 
hard as it is to see loved ones go through pain, what's good about that is that there's an objective lens that we see it through as much as one can. You know, perception, it's a reality for us no matter what we're doing. We see through our own perception. There's no way to escape it, you know, and... When we see people going through pain, we have our own bias about it. We do. I mean, it's it's pain that we experience too. And even if it isn't, it's a loved one. It's someone we care about. Even if it's not someone we care about, we still have opinions on the matter. You know, if you see a news story and all of a sudden there's a hurricane, you feel for people in the way that only you could. But when you see people on the outside going through pain, you're not dysregulated. You're not tied to it in the same way that you would be if it was you. You're not dysregulated in that same way. You're dysregulated through the means of care and empathy and compassion, not as much from the means of being activated from an insecurity or from the activation of trauma from neglect or gaslighting or just basic abuse inflicted directly on you. It's not the same thing. It's valid and it's harmful. It is, but it's not the same. So with that comes a room for you to develop some mechanism of action. But... The difficult part of all of this, the really difficult part, is finding a way to make this journey healthy and pure of all the pain that you once went through and the reactions you once had to them. That is the bias that's still there. But what can be objective is the sole fact, the notion that it is not you, that the actions that that person is taking are not being taken by you. And through that, you find a whole room of understanding. And so what you do is you use that empathy. You use that understanding to share a, a base idea, an idea called hope. Hope that you can recover because you once did. You recovered. You found light in the darkness and you made something out of it. And all of a sudden, the darkness was not what took over. The moon went down and the sun came up. And all of a sudden, everything you could ever want to see, you were seeing. Now, there are still times where it's cloudy. There's still times where it's even dark, plenty. But hope isn't based in some blind paradise. Hope is based in the idea that things can get better. Doesn't mean perfect. So when you look at someone who's going through pain, someone, a family member who's going through intense struggle that mimics what you went through, you don't look at it as this is either hopeless or this is gonna get perfect. You look at it as a step-by-step -step process, understanding your pain, your struggle, what you've been through, as well as the boundaries, mechanisms, and skills you've developed, and everything else used to recover from it, and you understand what they're going through as a specific person different than you. Try to find that balance of what is you and what is not, basically. In our past, anyone who's gone through childhood trauma or anything like that We've experienced something I think that is pretty universal. And I, I have a Bible verse for it. I want to read real quick. And you don't, you don't need to be religious to understand this. I'll explain it in a non-religious way as well. But the verse is Romans 7, I believe verse 21 through 24. Hopefully I didn't write that down wrong. I'm new to this. Um, and it goes, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. So, if you want to look at this from a religious Christian standpoint, you can do that. Or you could look at this from a purely mental health standpoint. And I'll explain right now what that could mean. So basically in this, it's described that you want to do what's right 
for people, for yourself, for God, whatever. In this context, it's God. But if you want to translate it to anything, you'll see that there is a willingness to try to do good within so many people who harm themselves and others. If you try to do good, then you need to have a good way of doing that. You need to have a healthy mechanism to do good things. And those of us who have good hearts and good intentions, who truly care about helping people, sometimes we'll try to do that. We'll try to do that and we'll realize that we end up hurting ourselves and maybe even them in the process. The reason for this in so many ways is because we act in a way that is unguided. We don't have a way to try to do things right. We don't have skills and mechanisms and boundaries to set. We'll, we'll feel as if we can just go and save someone and enable them to keep doing them and somehow they'll end their pain, you know? Or maybe we won't even try to enable them. Maybe we'll just try to help out in the way we understand, but our ways don't work. And yet, you know, we're still trying to help. We really are. We are good people trying to help other good people. Yet there's something in our mind that keeps us from doing it. We go towards this harmful side of things because our mind is riding in the, in the car of a driver who holds so much control, yet so little wisdom to know where to go. That driver could be us, but that driver could also just be this passion that is rooted in the trauma that we still hold. We may be healed from our own personal trauma in a way. We may have recovered. Maybe we haven't. But at the end of the day, what we still feel is pain when that trauma pops up and we might become dysregulated from it. You know, we might become clouded in how we see things and make a bad decision, even with good intention. So this translates to the idea of trying to help out your family or anyone, you know, we'll see someone going through pain and we may have the empathy and understanding of what we went through and even what we would want to hear or whatever. But note that what we might've wanted to have happened can be different than what we needed. And sometimes even what we didn't want to happen is what we needed, unfortunately. But that is not for me to say, if someone's going through pain, just let them go down the same path that you went through. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. I don't think that's a good way of looking at it. I think that is just another extreme from the opposite that says, do everything in your power to prevent them from going down their path. There is a balancing game here. There's a middle path to walk down. And you'll see it in the idea of support. Basic support validation, support, whatever assistance is needed to do what is right while allowing a person to make their own mistakes, you know, and always being an open voice and open arms to their mistakes into them when they need them, you know, when they need your open arms, be there for them. That's what it comes down to being there for them. Now, how do I, how am I going to be there for them? You know, if they push me away, when I try to give them advice, when they say I don't understand them, when they say I don't get their pain and that I could never help them out because they just, they just are stuck. They don't want to hear it. Why would they? You know, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear any advice or anything. Well, the point is, is that they're kind of right. That the advice unsolicited, the input when it's not asked for, the pushing when there's a pull, all of that, how'd you react to it when it was done to you? Because I'm sure it was. When people tried to give their input on what you were doing in your life, when people tried to put their foot down and assert their position so that they could quote unquote help you, how did you react? When you tried to, when you tried to run away from something and people just blocked your path away from it, or they even pushed you more towards the thing you were running away from unintentionally, 
How'd you react to it? How would you feel if every misstep you took was met with an I told you so? How would you feel if every time you tried to do what was right, you were told you were doing wrong? It would hurt. That's it. It would hurt. And from there, many things can happen. So we understand our good intentions. We understand where our heart lies. But we also understand our imperfections and that our heart might guide us in a weird place if it's not honed in by a mind that knows what it's doing, by a mind that understands everything it needs to to do what is truly right in a healthy way. We desperately want to help people and give them advice. We want to tell them what what we think is right. We want to take the lessons of our own pain and beam them into someone else's brain and say, there you go, do something with it. Now you know the way. But we don't share brains. We don't share processes. We don't share a perception. It's separate. And that is the understanding of the difference between us and them. What is us and what is them is separated by different perceptions that hold different narratives that craft different stories on what life truly is. And if we don't have the same view on life, life is going to be clouded when we try to share our insights, especially if they're not asked for. But there is something to do. There truly is. In my path, I realized that I have to, for me personally, when I'm the one in pain, I need validation. I need support. I need people to be assertive. I don't need to be enabled. I need people to actually give me the space to do what I need to do and be right behind me when I turn to them. Even if I've thought that I needed way more space than I did, you know, but that space is never impeded on. I don't have a bubble that is burst and people don't barge into my safe space or whatever, whatever it's called. They don't burst my bubble, basically my, my bubble, you know, they don't do that. If they did that, I would become defensive because my home is under attack. I don't want my inner child who is playing in his room with Legos and building blocks to get hurt by the threat outside. I keep him shielded. I don't want him to get touched because if he gets touched, he might be in danger. I don't want any of that. I don't want pain to my inner child. I don't want to feel pain again in the same way I once did. I don't want to get activated. How do I allow myself to feel shielded from the elements while letting people who serve those elements into my heart in a way that's healthy? How do I trust them? Again, it's a process, but again, there's a support there. There's support. Not letting the ego dictate the support. Not letting the pain of the past dictate the support. Not letting the fear of now dictate the support. But a trust that is given both ways that allows people to be human, a freedom of choice and thought while allowing something that is guided to manifest as well. You take these words for whatever they are. You know, I can't give specific examples on anyone, but I can give specific examples for me, I guess. So I'll do that. So I am dealing with currently family members that deal with certain issues. I'll be vague about it. And one of them is currently in a very bad place in their emotional state i'll say they're they're dealing with very similar things to me you know that i dealt with and i've messed up in trying to help them already in a bad way i unfortunately did all of the things that i'm saying are good are not good to do in this episode i did when i first saw him again he returned home and he hadn't been living with us he returned home and he was welcomed into this house 
And all of a sudden, fear popped up because I worried that his behavior was going to affect my life because him and I have had a conflicted history. He pushes my button sometimes and I react to, to him in a certain way. And I was afraid of that. Regardless of all the work I've put in that shows that I can handle it, the fear, the dysregulated paranoia and panic popped up. And I tried to find a way to come up with a plan, quote unquote, for him to live in this house properly with everything he's going through. I asserted myself in a way that was forceful and aggressive rather than in a way that was grounded, using a wise mind that actually understands the situation from an empathetic perspective. I tossed that empathy out the window and I let fear go into that car that I was also in the passenger seat of, and it drove me off a cliff. And eventually we had a huge argument in my family. We had a huge argument and I ended up getting a lot of the brunt of it, but my brother got the most of it. And now he's back living somewhere else. I messed up. I did. I don't beat myself over the head for it. But I messed up. And now my brother is not feeling comfortable here again. He was pushed away. I pushed him away. And all of us did. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just my family. It was also him as well. Him not being receptive to what we had to say. But that's a very natural thing, you know. All of us made a mistake. That's the dynamic, you know, all of us together as a collective. When we make a mistake involving all of us, we all make a mistake. And it's sad. It hurts a lot. It really does. But it's important to learn from it. And I am doing that. I've, I've already put in efforts to make sure that I can be a brother first, not a therapist, not a sort of weird sage or something. You know, I'm not trying to be anything more than who I am. I'm not trying to preach words on a mountaintop here. I'm truly just trying to connect. So I'm trying to do that. To help my family and for my family to help me, we need to work together. We need to communicate. We need to set boundaries. We need to assert ourselves. We need to be kind to ourselves. And we need to have freedom to do all those things. We need to be true together as a collective who really cares and understands. And that freedom, the freedom to do so, the freedom to leave the house and to come back, the freedom to give an input, it all needs to be there. It does. And with that freedom comes a big responsibility, a responsibility that tells us to be wise in any moment we can, to be smart, to be compassionate, you know, to have kindness and assertiveness and balance that out, you know, tip the scales when they're needing to be tipped, but understand that there is a balance that needs to be struck. That's important. And we all need to understand that fear, it, it can't be in the driver's seat. I've said this for so many episodes, that whenever fear guides our footsteps and dictates our pace, whether we're running away from something or towards it, we eventually get met with that fear. We see it. It stares us in the eyes, and it does whatever it wants with us. It was guiding us to it, the true threat, the threat that had been chasing us the whole time or the protection even that we were running towards. It was all disguise. We were deceived. And that fear hurts. It hurts us in more ways than one. And it was all for good intentions. Our good intentions stomped on and thrown away. We need to find a way to make sure that love is in the driver's seat. True love. True passion. True care. True empathy. True understanding. True reasoning. True wisdom. It, it, it's in the driver's seat. So that we can drive to wherever destination we want and not crash. 
not fall off that cliff. Let's find a way, you and me, especially me, to find something healthy. To be healthy, to be wise, to be heartfelt, and to be safe for all of us so that anyone, including our family, can be happy together. That's all for today. See ya!